0: This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com.
1: Meat and Three is back. We're kicking off our fourth season and celebrating HRN's 10th anniversary with a very special episode about our home. Brooklyn.
2: Roberta's was such an interesting place with such a strong gravitational pull. It attracted all these different groups.
1: The neighborhood has changed a lot over the past decade from its culinary renaissance to the complicated implications of gentrification. I would say the majority of the people who are members of our co-op definitely have a certain purchasing power, are mostly white, and we are trying to change that. We're taking you on a journey that spans the birthplace of Food Radio to buzzy neighborhood pollinators to the transformative health journey of our borough president.
3: That was my moment of, you know, wow, someone has thrown me a life raft and I'm going to take it.
1: Subscribe to meetin 3. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys. It's May 21st, 2019. I'm Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio. We're here at heritageradionetwork.org. It's in our 10th season. So we've got a great show tonight. We've been talking about all things local, craft beer, New York State and beyond. And it seems that um, we think about local beer, but actually a big market for our our beers is uh, export, which is similar to many other industries um, that, that we think of in terms of business. And um, we've had a, a great guest on before, Kurban and uh, Peter. Kurban. How are you guys? Kurban. How are you? From uh, Crafted Exports. Um, we put together an you interesting show about um, you know exporting beer to, to Europe. And um, yeah. So welcome to the show, Kurban.
4: Great to be here, as always.
1: Q. <laughs> <laughs> But um, just tell us your backstory, because it's pretty interesting. We think about everything that's happened in New York and craft beer. um, We forget that breweries like Brooklyn Brewery long ago were selling more beer exported than they were in New York.
4: Yes, export is growing. It's the reason that Peter and I started this company. Uh, I'm the co-founder, Peter, the other co-founder. And you and I were at a bar a couple weeks ago talking about the rise of craft internationally, and, and it kind of pivoted to specifics. Um, and I spent Q1 living out of London uh, and I got to spend a lot of time with Mondo Brewing Co uh, Tom and Todd the owners there um, and we we started kicking around the ideas Todd and me specifically about the Yanks and Sox are playing later this year in London first time um, and we came up with the idea of we should really do something along the lines of a New York versus Boston beer series collaboration series so The guys from Mondo after the CBC this year flew over um, and two of our best New York breweries, Captain Lawrence and Gun Hill who are here with us, uh, we did them and then also Harpoon and Night Shift out of Boston and Mondo brewed brewed with each of them and those beers are currently on the water over Um, and we've partnered with a bunch of great accounts in London, Mother Kelly specifically, uh, that's going to be pouring all the beer. So it's just... uh, Another chapter in Crafted, another chapter in the rise of craft overseas.
1: Oh, it's exciting. And everybody introduce themselves. Keith? Yeah, Keith from Captain Lawrence, the Director of
3: Sales. Very happy to be here. Very happy to be talking about uh, export with uh, Crafted.
0: Dave Lopez from uh, Gunhill, co-managing partner.
2: Uh, Kelly from Kelso, owner. All right. Peter?
5: Peter McNulty, uh, founder and logistics lead at Crafted Exports.
1: And then Kurban Waliya, Kurban. So, and we, we had you guys on, a, you know, over a year ago. We we started talking about, you know, crafted crafted exports and what you guys were doing. Um, it is exciting. This the story of baseball in in London. Uh, I think we just cut cut to that as you started, Kurban. Um, guys, you know, D- Dave and, and and Keith. So, you had tell us about the collaborations that happened. Let's let's this big picture. So, guy Mondo Brewing in in London put together some. Uh, you over some English brewers, right?
4: Yeah. So uh, Tom and Todd, the owners, came over, uh, and we, they first brewed with, I, I believe, uh, Keith and Captain Lawrence. It was
0: the same day, actually. It was the same yeah. day.
4: Yeah. And we tried to spread it around. It got a little IPA heavy. I think we did a, a, a smoothie IPA, right, with Captain Lawrence, uh, a, a sour with Gun Hill, um, a red IPA with Harpoon, and then a, um, a New England IPA, of course, with, uh, with Night Shift. And uh, we're really excited about it. It's kind of like the first time something like this has happened, especially with a sports angle. Um, and uh, I think it's going to go over really well. I think everyone was texting after that the beers came out really well.
1: And Keith, uh, how did you get involved in the project?
4: Yeah, so we were super excited
3: about it. Q reached out to us. He told us what was going on. I was uh, I met the Mondo guys previously down at Wakefest, and I had some of their beers previously. So really great guys over there. We we're excited to be part of the project. The whole. You know, New York versus Boston. So we're, we're ready to jump on board, and we decided to go in the direction of a blueberry smoothie to represent the blue for the Yankees. And uh, yeah, it came out so amazing. So th- this is
1: almost more of a, a Boston versus New York thing than it is. Oh, big time. <laughs> Anything. And Dave, too, I know you're a baseball player.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was kind of a no brainer for us to be tied with this. I mean, the, our brewery, Gunhill, started based on baseball because Kieran and I played on this baseball team together. That's how we met. So to, anything that we do that can be associated with baseball, we're all for. Um, but and in that same vein, we actually made a blueberry sour beer as well. So tying in with the uh, the New York blueberry and Yankees. One of the connection. best names. Yeah, our our uh, our beer is called Chillin' with My blueberry.
1: <laughs> what do you think about this, Peter? I mean, you're getting creative and uh, everything, but um, you, you got really solid roots in the in the beer industry. You know, you worked for for distributors before
5: uh i was really excited about the the project i'm a uh i'm a local guy too i grew up a big fan of the mets growing up and uh you know we started kind of talking about this opportunity of the the yankees and red sox playing over there for a long time but i was really impressed by how uh, kirban started talking to all the people that we know that are also interested in this and how it came together and uh, everybody, you know, they were super creative in how we put together the brews. Uh, timelines worked out really well. And coordination and all those efforts, you know, it was hand in glove. Everybody really got on the same page really quickly. And now, you know, I, I, I was Good part weekend. of it. That's great. Uh, I, was, I was, I've been in beer long enough to know when you couldn't get anything but, uh, you know, pretty generic American-style Pilsner at a baseball game. And that still has a place, right? I'll still have some of those, but it's been really nice over the last 10 years to see the different options that you have at ballparks and to know that we're going to be a part of a project that has that same direct impact overseas for the first game between the Red Sox and the Yankees in London. It's super exciting. It's an opportunity we should all be really happy to be a part of.
1: Cheers, guys. Cheers. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, the way way I see it is, is, first, it's exciting that the Yankees and, and Red Sox are going to be playing in London, it seems that the English have an interest in all things American. They want barbecue. They want hot sauce. They want craft beer. Um, but still, you know, your, your guys' background, it's still pretty interesting that you guys kind of took over this little niche of, of craft beer export. Tell us a little bit what it's been like the last couple of years, the breweries that you're working with regularly before, this, before the baseball project.
4: Oh, yeah. So um, what a year it's been since the last time we were on. Uh, you know, So Peter and I are coming up on year four. It'll be the end of end of July. Uh, I can't believe it's it's flown by that quickly. Um, but, you know, when we started, craft was becoming a thing overseas. And now, you know, you sometimes feel that it's as saturated over there as it is over here. Um, and our you know, our, our mission was always get great beer tasting the same overseas as it does here uh, at a at a price point and approachability that, uh, it could really elevate craft beer, uh, to the next chapter overseas. And I think we've luckily been really successful at that. Um, and you know, there's been, there's been a lot of other people that have helped us along the way. I think I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we, we brought on, uh, Andrew Reed, um, end of last year to be our, our true head of sales. Uh, and he has been absolutely crushing for us. And, and actually the only one of us that's fully based overseas, and, and I don't know for anyone who doesn't know, he was running um, craft sales team for Manhattan Beer, so he's a great New York City beer legend and understands the market really well and understands New York, the New York and U.S. market really well. Um, and and his, his
1: wife is from Sweden, right?
4: Right, exactly. So um, really jealous sometimes of, uh, of the perks that he gets over there, um, but um, we're really excited to see where this thing goes, and it's it seems to have no end in sight.
1: Well oh, that's great well let's let's get Kelly involved in this too so you you mentioned earlier that um, part of the export process is there's different countries and different rules w- tell us about selling uh, beer to Norway and Sweden you mentioned a tender system
4: yeah so uh, it, it's it's funny actually when we had just started uh, Kelly was one of the first people that we talked to uh, obviously a Titan in the, the New York beer scene uh, so we, you know we really um, it, it was Definitely, I remember being a little intimidated going to that meeting, but we, we submitted. I have uh, that effect up people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we. The way that uh, beer sales work in Scandinavia, Norway, and Sweden, to be specific, is that you have the on-premise, and it's very much similar to how beer is sold in, in the U.S., however, the off-premise is completely different. It's like so, retail stores, yeah. grocery stores. So uh, for all beers, uh, for Sweden, for all beers north of 3.5%, uh, to go into the state-run liquor stores called the System Blagget, you have to win a blind taste test. Obviously, there's pricing parameters in there, but it really does come down to just a blind taste test, who has the best beer. Um, and that has been something that's I think been a reason why craft has exploded specifically in Scandinavia. Norway's similar model: uh, any beer over 4.7 has to go through the Vimmerbylet, which is their uh, state-run liquor store. Um, and there's some pros to it, like you know, uh, sitting next to Keith. Keith knows full well the successes we've had with Captain Lawrence Grapefruit winning uh, the first citrus IPA tender. In Sweden um, and at its peak it was the number two best-selling uh, IPA in a can in the entire country which is amazing uh, but then there's also downsides in that um, it, like in Norway for that that Kelso Pills, we placed second and that you know it probably came down to just one judge marking it a, a nine instead of a ten and and then we're not in any of the any of the stores with that beer so um, it's a it's a it's a really interesting system if you know how to game it if you know how to work with it and then also you have great suppliers who want to work with you on it uh, and then also a great uh, distribution partner overseas. They were they were, were clearly
2: not intimidated over there. Not by <laughs> you, <Yeah, yeah>, yeah. <laughs> but you guys thought, you know the the, the brewers here
1: uh, Keith in particular tell us about uh, other exports that you've done other other you know opportunities you've had.
3: Yeah, so to kind of to bring it back, I remember when uh, Q was getting started and uh, he came to us and kind of told of his plan and uh, like, all right, let's, uh, let's give this a shot. We weren't really sure what to expect out of it. And so we started trickling some beer overseas and whatnot. And then as Q mentioned, you know, fast forward a little bit, we had uh, applied for the citrus tender. We won the tender. So we're kind of excited and we're like, well, we don't really know what this means just yet until we started seeing the orders come in and come to realize that, you know, as Q mentioned, we were... And I believe at one point, almost every single liquor store in the country of Sweden, so you could find a polar bear and you could find Captain Lawrence grapefruit. So it was pretty exciting at that time, and the uh, the market was uh, you know pretty. They're they're pretty. Uh, the Swedes are really excited about American craft, and they support the culture and, and, and the the brewers, good beer coming out. So uh, it's been a, it's been a great for success for us. We've kind of gone from zero to a hundred over there. Uh, but as Q mentions, there's pros and cons so all these. Uh, Processes and it's a little bit like the lottery, and uh, we were fortunate in that.
1: So how, how do you guys, when you, when you think about your, in your business plans for your breweries, how, how do you see exports? I mean, are they the same as, as trying to ship to another state? Do you think of them in that way?
3: Um, we start to look at it a little bit differently. Um, so, you know, we kind of look at Crafted as a distributor partner, and then from there it will kind of branch out to a few different areas. So as that continues to grow and develop, we're going to have to kind of assess that and treat each of those markets a little bit differently.
1: Yeah. And Kelly, do you want to talk about that tender process from five years ago?
2: Uh, I think you pretty much hit on it. I, you know, we submitted for a tender, and they said, uh, no, you didn't finish first, so you know, what are you going to do? You just try it again some other time? But you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing trying to, trying to get into different markets overseas. Everybody's got their... their uh, their rules and the regulations. We just shipped a bunch of stuff to Japan um, late last year. I think it was uh, Gun Hill was part of that as well. And and uh, the shipping part was easy because there was a, somebody coordinating the whole thing. But on the back end, there was just a tremendous amount of follow up questions, follow up questions. You need more documentation. You need more of this, more of that. So every market's got its own thing, and it's uh, it's you know it's, I never really thought I'd be exporting stuff. Uh, I, I sent stuff. I uh, sent beer to uh, Pacific Northwest, where I'm from, and I thought that was plenty far <laughs> you know? because when you start shipping like that it starts to get really expensive, right? so you gotta you gotta start shipping quantity and you know I'm from the Pacific Northwest, so uh, I was going out there a couple times a year, so I figured I might as well write off my my flight <laughs> you know so yeah,
1: and Dave, what about you guys for gunhill
0: yeah I mean for for us, the idea of going overseas was never really part of our initial business plan, so when Q came to us, it was sort of the same thing. We were like, we'll give it a shot because we don't really see any downside to doing it because it wasn't part of our initial sort of focus. And now it's like it's, it's starting to pick up a little bit more, I'd say, in the last six to nine months uh, for us specifically. And so, you know, we're, we're able, just because of some of the Policies that we put in place at the brewery, we're able to sort of forecast out a little bit better than we were maybe two or three years ago, and that's enabled us, I think, to get a little bit more sort of uh, leeway with these guys in terms and get more in there in front of them early, which allows us to get more overseas. But we don't view it as like a driver for us right now, just because it, the our whole motto is the further you are away from home, the harder it is, and so like you know we look up and down the east coast and even like going two states over a two and a half hour drive is challenging enough so you know to be a long 6 hour plane ride away or even longer it it makes it more more and more difficult
1: yeah hey, what beer are we drinking
0: uh this is
1: our Hellas lager
0: called spreadsheet mafia that we did with the as part of the locals to locals um i think you've had andrew preston on yeah
1: from long island yeah yeah, yeah. It's great, great, great first beer. Let's pop a couple more beers, too. Um, and, and Keith, anything else about the about export uh, situation, things that are interesting to you?
3: It, you know, it's all very interesting because, you know, every single country or area is a little bit different, and uh, you start to learn about the differences. You know, here you see, you know, price premiumization going on in the categories, and there in certain areas, the, the U.K., for instance, is very price sensitive. Um, you know the the way that the on-premises run is very interesting as well compared to the you know as q mentioned the system blog and the government running all these things well there you have some massive groups that run more or less the whole country here you have in new york you have a, a, a bar group that owns you know half a dozen a dozen places there they own 300 restaurants so to be able to get into that system is is again it's like very similar approach, I would guess, and Q could talk more on this to, you know, winning the lottery, getting in front of those guys, and then next thing you know, you're in 300 pubs throughout the UK.
4: Q? Yeah, completely. Um, we, we Peter and I were on a conference call earlier today, and we talked at length about how it's a symbiotic relationship between uh, growing the off-premise and growing the on-premise. And I think that's something that's been special about us, and Peter's uh, been really... Um, focused on making sure that reigns a really core part of our mission to ma- understand how important the on-premise is. You can sometimes get lost in the uh, sales and, and opportunities in the off-premise, um, but it it's all for naught if we don't keep that, that foothold in the, in, in the on-premise.
1: So and as, you, as you're as approached, you guys are almost like agents, so you're, you're not just doing the shipping, you're actually out there getting the sales, um, connecting, and you're probably hand-selecting certain... Beers like Davey said ahead of time, you know what's what's available. Just talk us through that process, because it sounds like what you're doing is you're pretty niche I don't see the big guys doing this. It seems like you're you're basically like agents and partners of these local craft breweries.
5: We um we, we're trying to approach the business in a way that makes sense for all the for all the breweries because they're at different stages in their in their growth. They have different strategic goals, but a lot of times we can come to them and say we have some opportunities that your profile, your branding, uh, your your beers, your pricing, like all this would fit something that we think would really, would really work well in market. And, um, you know, we said this earlier today. The first part of that conversation is we're really being interviewed on what kind of partners we can be. The, you know, the distribution system here in the US, you know, it's, that's a marriage a lot of times. So, you know, you have to be very careful in your partner selection the second step we're then interviewing the breweries that we're working with can they deliver quality with uh regularity are they good partners to work with are they operationally efficient and flexible all these things are really important if you want to be successful in distributing overseas so we try to be really transparent about what the needs are and how to grow a business that way but we don't just like you know get it to the one yard line and expect you know, the market to dictate it or some, you know, distributor that we never see again to handle it. Like Keith said, we try to play an integrated role so that, you know, the time zone difference, the difference in languages, the compliance issues that you deal with in all these different places uh, that Kelly touched on too, like, we want to be a centerpiece for all of that to an inflection point. All that information can be consolidated so we can help all of our partners manage overseas their main responsibility doesn't change, and that's what we're trying to do for the breweries. They brew and package beer, right? That's a fundamental cornerstone of what the brewing industry is. We don't want these guys to figure out like how to you know figure out compliance language in Sweden or know the intricacies of like two different state controlled distribution uh, systems. That's what we're here for. So we go to them and we say, Hey, there's a new tender in um in norway we think that you guys would be a good fit can you put some thought into it here are the parameters and then we kick that to them they do that what they do and and then come back to us uh,
0: no i was gonna say from our perspective like i think literally the only difference besides the size of the kegs and the specific kegs that we're filling like we have to put something different on the the keg collar but other than that like it's really no different for us than dealing with any other distributor that we have when we're sending this beer out. Like, it, you know, I get a, a, a shipping label and that's pretty much it. We put it on, on the pallet and then it goes. And so from our perspective, these guys couldn't make it really any easier than they do when it comes to actually sending the product. And once it goes over there.
5: That's the best compliment I think that we've <laughs> ever gotten. Let's toast to that. Oh, yeah, cheers Yeah, to that. cheers. Oh, cheers, guys.
0: Because that's literally the, that's the business
5: model, right? We want to make sure that we know, it, we talk about this all the time. I, I've, I've worked supply side, distributor side here locally and we, I wanted to make a lot of the headaches that I had go away. And it was because it was a different headache every day. I didn't remember how to ship to Brazil or, you know, to Connecticut, right? Like, it was always like a different, you know, uh, you, know you have to do lab testing for one, you have to go to the Chamber of Commerce for another, and uh, it's hard. And it takes away a lot of focus from what you should be focusing on for the breweries. So the DNA is 95% the same, but the 5% that's different makes all of the difference right in terms of you know you can make a lot of analogies but like if you aim at something that's like an inch away you're going to be pretty accurate but if you aim for something that's 300 yards away if you're just a little bit off from the start it's going to be way off target so what we're trying to do is make sure that everybody can stay on target all the way what's the sport in
1: in Norway in the north where you have to ski and shoot in the same thing is that Uh, biathlon biathlon, yeah (laughs) you made a shooting reference but uh, what's the next beer we're drinking because we're gonna take a break in a second
0: Uh, This is called Buena Onda. It's our Mexican lager that we just released last week. That seems seems like a
1: popular style, doesn't it, now? Mexican style Yeah,
0: and and it doesn't necessarily have to just be around Cinco de Mayo anymore.
1: That's great. We're going to ask a couple more questions, but tell you what, we're going to take a short break just for a, a little message. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
2: Super-duper
4: awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage.
1: Hey, hey, hey. thank you, Roberta's Pizza and Brandon Hoy. Uh, We really appreciate you guys sponsoring us and supporting HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right, we're drinking uh, the Gun Hill. What is it, Davey? The Buena Onda? Yep, Mexican Mexican lager. lager. seems like a really popular style. Seems like everybody wants a Mexican lager these days. That's a,
0: it's nice and clean and refreshing, so perfect for perfect for a day like today.
1: It's great. We were just talking a little bit more about uh, some of the intricacies of, of exporting beer, um, differences between states and countries. But Peter and, and Q, um, g- give me examples like between like Sweden and England. Some things that are that are different, you know, that you have to whether it's labeling or, you know. Uh,
5: so one, one thing that comes to mind, because like, this comes up in, um, in in every conversation that we have with breweries, especially to start, people look for comps. Like, what does that country, like, what state is that country like? And we're finding out more and more that everything, just like every state is pretty unique, every country is also. Uh, I'll kick this to Q in a second, but one of the things between the two markets, uh, the UK is much more like New York City, where it's uh, 80-20 on-prem versus off-prem and Sweden is the inverse of that, where 80% of the alcohol is consumed in the off-premise versus the on-premise. So we have like a very draft-heavy strategy because we also led with the UK, but we needed to evaluate how to focus on draft as a sampling opportunity in Sweden rather than the, the specific lead like we did in the UK.
4: So uh, this is Carbon again. Um, differences in countries. So uh, the UK, outside of being, as Peter mentioned, very draft oriented, also it's very price oriented uh, in a way. In a, every every place is price oriented, but it's a whole other level in the UK. If it's it's above a point certain point, nobody will buy it. Uh, so you really have to come in at the right uh, at the right price. But the UK, as like a pro to it, very little work from a compliance perspective. Launching new beers is it, it's uh, it's it's a lot, It's very easy. Um, the paperwork is very minimal. Uh, then you have Scandinavia, which is the complete opposite. Uh, you know, the pricing is important, but the elasticity seems to go a little bit, a little bit further there. Uh, but the compliance is is a is a nightmare. You know, if we want to bring in two kegs of something, it's sometimes like, oh, my God, this is like hours of work just to just to get two kegs into the country. Um, and then they're very specific about uh, what they let in. Norway, um, you can literally, they're very tough on branding. Uh, so if it's too on the nose, they just won't allow it in. And that goes also to the effect of like POS. You can't have bar mats or, or, or coasters or anything, anything that really advertises the beer, which is funny, but that's the way the market runs. So it really just comes down to the liquid. Sweden is also a little bit crazy. Like I remember, uh, when we first sent over cans of hop commander, there's a hop, it's a it's a caricature. Uh, and they were like, it's 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 driving a car that you're promoting drunk driving, um, and so we had to fight that. And then also, when it came down to um, when it came down to uh, grapefruit tender in that same hop is holding a knife cutting a grapefruit, and we had to actually remove that and run a whole new can uh, to get that out. And then I remember with uh, with butternuts war dance, uh, they collaborated with anthrax, uh, and that was. That was a whole uphill battle explaining. That was a whole. That was yeah. That was a whole battle explaining to them that that was a a band and and exactly. Um, So, there's there's nuances and differences in each market into how branding needs to be, how pricing needs to be, and then there's pros and cons to everyone. Peter, yeah. Anybody who's been through the uh, the naming process with the TTB
5: for approval knows that like it can be it can be threading a needle sometimes, and having had approval here specifically the anthrax war dance was like Mind-numbing the number of conversations that we had to have we finally got there But it like you know something that was an up a huge uphill battle here It was just as hard to then replicate it overseas regardless of the fact that it happened here so we continually like learn new things and, and new challenges about the market, but Again, we, we're trying to, to head those off to streamline it so that we can get everybody to concentrate on what they're good at.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to just digress a little bit. So Kelly Taylor, one of the OG brewers. and I, like, uh, I like that introduction. Here. I'm going to digress. <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, digress. Um, OG brewers, you know, we, we know you. Kelso, you brewed for Heartland Brewery, Greenpoint Beer Works forever. So many brewers that work in the city now. Worked, can, trained with you, work, worked with you. Guys like Chris Kuzme, Fifth Hammer, was working with you. Um, just want to give a big shout-out to Kelly. Um, just to say, just how far craft beers come, that uh, not too long ago, he was one of four breweries in, in the city, For sure. For and sure. now there's over 30, and we're talking about... Over,
2: over over
1: 45. Over 45, wow. Yeah. And we're talking about not exporting to uh, Brewers, so like Sweden and uh, <laughs> <laughs> England. But Kelly, I just want to say, just give us a shout-out. So you right now, um, you're Looking to open a brewery up in Westchester. Just give yeah, us a right. quick quick rundown of what you're doing.
2: Well, we, we um, lost our lease a few years ago, and we've been looking for a space. Um, and, you know, price of real estate's gone up. Competition has doubled the amount of breweries within the city, not to mention the breweries coming from outside the city. That's one, of the, that's one of the great things about New York City, right? I've always promoted that, and is that not only do we have a lot of great locally made beer, but we also have a lot of beer that is made from around the world, coming in here, people like people will produce beer and sell it in their home market and send it to New York City because it, go, it goes like that. So, which is which is great from a con- consumer standpoint, it's a little tricky from a craft brewer standpoint. So, so we've been kind of watching the market and seeing how it's going, and we, we really want to rebuild a, a local brewery. You know, that's that was our big thing, you know, over a decade in Clinton Hill, we were local was all focused on local and and getting the freshest beer possible to the market and, and engaging with the with the consumers in our neighborhoods um Captain Lawrence you know that's how you guys started right it's just it's all local 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 so we're going to go up and try to take some of Captain Lawrence's market <laughs> easy kelly <laughs> well you know but you know the market is growing though right you know yeah. so the pie is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and so um so we're 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 but the the amount of space that we originally thought we wanted a couple years ago when we lost our lease, the amount of space is starting to shrink a little bit. And I bet you Scotty would wish his space was a little bit smaller up there at this point. <laughs> you know, but I mean, not after doubling it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, right. But you know, a lot of that's a tap room driven, I would assume. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so that's a big it's a big part of it. So the tap room starts to become a bigger and bigger part of of what our projection is going to be, and less of the. Distribution side of the model, so so we're we're looking at that now, and we're raising money, we've got we're about a, a third of the way there um, with our with our fundraise. Um, every time we we shrink the projections and try to do more of the tap room thing thing, it becomes more and more of a, a restaurant brewery versus a distribution brewery, and then you go back to the investors. There's a really interesting part of the market that I don't really know anything about. Which is funny because I've been brewing for over 25 years, <laughs> but uh, you know I'm learning this whole project and learning learning how the investment part works, and, and you know we're just plugging along.
1: It's great. Well, it's great to have you back on. We just wanted to let you get a little shout out there about that. And let's go back. So, um, Gun Hill, man, same same kind of story. I've known you guys a long time since you started. Uh, we had you on. You, you did a, a Broadway Brews project. Yep, uh, yeah. with the cast of Hamilton. Three years ago already. Made a beer. Yeah. Um, what, what's it, what, What's up with you guys now? You've opened a second tasting location.
0: Yep. So we have a uh, Gun Hill Tavern, which is in the the South Bronx now. So it's um, it's under our farm license, uh, and, and it's we have eight beers, eight of our beers on tap, some local cider, and also um, local New York spirits there, and then we have a small kitchen. Uh, so it's sort of, you know, we, one of our biggest things was the, the Bronx was always sort of a, the, the unknown frontier. And when we opened our brewery in the North Bronx, it, it was very clear that there was no good way for people from other boroughs and also from the South Bronx to get to our brewery um, by public, tra- public transportation. So we felt that by opening something in the South Bronx, we would be able to get the traffic that was not coming on a regular basis. So yeah. now we have another spot that is a local spot and is much more accessible. Like it's 30 minutes to Midtown Manhattan on the train. It's across the street from the six train around the corner from the four five. Whereas going to the brewery, even from Midtown Manhattan, you're looking at an hour plus, hour and a half on the train. Um, so that's sort of the, the most recent thing for us.
1: Great. And uh, Scott, uh, uh, Scott, Keith, I'm, uh, my, my <laughs> names are all over the place today. but. Mm-hmm. Scott Vaccaro, uh, Captain Lawrence, founder Brewer. Uh, how's he doing?
3: He's doing great. He's uh, always got something going on. Uh, as Kelly alluded to a little bit earlier, we just went through another expansion for the tasting room. So another 5,000 uh, square feet over there. Uh, distillery soon to come. Uh, so very exciting times. You know, our, our strategy is uh, we, we were, you know, very local as well for many years. And then it came to the point where we started, you know, expanding. And it pretty much looked like one market per year. And it's been a great strategy for us. The last uh, year was amazing, and we're on pace for another great year.
1: Great. And, and where else? What are the strongest markets you have? You're selling in New York.
3: New York's a great market. Uh, you know, the greater Philly area is a great market. D.C. has been fantastic. Um, we're, we're doing good up in Massachusetts. Uh, and then we recently, uh, the Carolinas have been great, and we recently lost, launched uh, Florida, and they're off to a great start as well. You know, obviously, it- we talked about the export.
1: And separate from export, you know, I'm I've, I've noticing a lot more, like, traditional restaurants that some of them have been around for a while are starting to consider adding more craft beer. Like, you maybe have six lines of beer. You, you might see them being open to, to, to doing this. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, Keith, I, I've got a restaurant on the Upper West Side I'm working with. Um, the guy's interested in trying out some craft beer but doesn't really know it. What what would you pitch as like the first beer someone should take on, uh, if they're just just adding craft beer? And it's, we're kind of going backwards. I feel like we did this twelve fifteen years ago. But it's amazing that when we're talking about the industry and the growth. We know that there's this much money being spent on beer. It's probably not going to grow. But the, but the, but the craft has potential to grow.
3: Yeah, I mean it's a tricky question, right? The industry has changed so fast over the years, and it's specifically in the most recent years that. The change of what the consumer wants is, is nobody knows what it is. So you got to be able, you know, we're fortunate enough to be, while we're a decent sized regional brewery, we're small enough to be able to pivot and, you know, create new trends and jump on new trends and see what's out there. So if somebody's opening up, you know, we have a, a wide enough portfolio to find a hole in whatever you're looking for with that draft line. And I think that's the best strategy to uh, to approach. You know, if, if you already have a, a great pills online and a you know, IPA online, well we're gonna go in a different direction and vice versa. So I think the strategy is, you know, nowadays it's kind of giving the consumer what they want and making you sure you fit well into that tap line.
1: Yeah, let, let's say you had you had I mean, there's so many restaurants in New York that fit this. They've got a Stella on, they've got a Guinness, you know, they've got another macro owned you know, crafty brand. And there's one line that's open. Pick a beer.
2: What, what would you well, I would, suggest? I would say Stella and Guinness are both open, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs>
1: let's, let, let, let's say they're not. No, ready I mean realistic. I, mean, oh, I mean that's because yeah.
2: if you go in with a craft nitro uh, uh, Irish stout, a lot of places are looking for something different. You know, so they're like, "Oh, you have a local nitro stout? Nobody else has got a, you know, or you go in and they have Stella, and like, you know, try this it's, it's it tastes the same it, you know it's very similar but you can you can take it off and i have and, and i think that that's that's, an inter- that's the thing that you're kind of battling is a lot of people don't think you can take it off but you can I and i did this in, t- in t- you know.
1: 2005 people ask for Stella I had a Belgian Pills. but yeah. you know now it's like I think the the bigger market is that there's more mainstream restaurants that that want to take on some lines well I
0: think, I think I think it depends on two things number one is what are they willing to spend on the beer like if if they're trying to get you to compete with certain price points well that that's a different conversation and then the second thing is do they want something that is always going to be available or are they willing to rotate because if you're only looking to rotate then you open yourself up to a much larger audience. But if you're looking to just focus on having a dedicated line or a dedicated style, then you're, you're sort of narrowing your focus a bit more and narrowing who you're going to talk to. Because in this day and age, a lot of these breweries that are opening up, they don't have flagship beers. And if they do, they're probably only making flagship IPAs. So if you're not going after an IPA or a Pilsner line, then you're looking at a much smaller group of, of, of breweries to talk about that free line. Thank you.
3: Yeah, no, it's a great point. You know, so number one, right, I'm always going to go after the IPA line and or the Pilsner line, the, the two highest volume lines out there without a doubt. And then there becomes the subcategories. Okay, you were looking for something different for an IPA. Well, we got, a, we got a grapefruit IPA. We have a New England style IPA. We have a junior New England style IPA. Or you're looking for you know, something that's a special release. We have smoothie beers. So you got to have to have that flexibility within your portfolio to be able to find that, you know, that place in, in each and every bar out there looking for something.
1: And then bringing this to export into to England and, and Sweden, um, it, it what, what changes happened over there? Because it, it you know it's not overnight, but there's definitely an interest in having American craft beer in, in those countries. Um, I,
5: this re- the conversation resonates with us because um, craft beer, while, while growing and very quickly overseas. One of the things that we're challenged with is, like, how do we get to that next level account? Right now, a lot of the craft beer scene is kind of uh, in, in those high spotting accounts where it's specifically driven to be a craft beer bar. And what we're trying to do from a value proposition and for our own company's growth is get into those bars where, like, Sierra Nevada was, like, an early adapter in those bars where it was a bunch of macro beers and then a secondary option. For volume. So what we're trying to do, too, is always work with our breweries to say, same conundrum, right? There's a Carling, a Carlsberg, Foster's, and a Guinness line. What can we get in there? Um, and how does that pro- prove or provide value to the beer buyer or the, the owner of the establishment? And a lot of times, it's going to be its perception, right? And that's driven by volume. How often are they changing kegs? How often do they have to order it? They're not running a PL by by uh, by draft line, you know? Uh, so you 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 may know that you're providing like higher revenue or stuff like that, but it's not always gonna speak to that. And it's it goes back to um, you know, hand to hand combat, right? You're you're in the account, you're showing your face, you're providing the, the staff with the tools that they need to sell beer. It's equally as important <coughs> as the style that you choose to to be in there, and then it has to actually translate to actually working with the, with the customer so we're constantly doing that here it's it's not it's it's less competitive but in a different way like in the UK those second level accounts don't have you know uh, I you know I cut my teeth on the supplier side at six point and it was great you know on Smith Street where you had all these bars where there were a lot of macro loggers for a long time that just started integrating and carrying the, you know, the Bengali tiger and stuff like that—it's having that conversation where you can flip that one line where it's a permanent fixture of it, and we're still looking for. There's no magic bullet, right? It's account by account. You're gonna to have to try to figure out. How well, you
2: know, to, you know what I, I used to try it. to do is once I'd get the talk to the bar manager and you get the beer in, right? That's you get it into the into the draft uh, rotation, and then you go and you talk to have a tasting with the uh, with the whole staff, including the kitchen. If you get the kitchen guys involved and they start, because they'll they'll start drinking the beer, and all of a sudden you start going through a lot of kegs. They're not running the numbers, being like, "Oh, look how much of this beer we sold." They just they're looking at the empty keg, and they're saying, "Oh, we we need to order some more of this keg." So they they go through a lot of beer. Yeah, like, oh, this is this is really moving quickly. But then the kitchen staff was drinking half of it, so you know. So, but but that's to your point: is that some sometimes they're not actually running the numbers; they're looking at how much of the beer they're 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 changing yeah, they, they, around it's, you know so they do it by field. <laughs> yeah so yeah. a lot of it you know
4: you, cool. yeah and, and there's one more thing you know peter hit it uh with talking about that's the world we're kind of living in where there's a lot of those bars overseas uh there they are new to this whole world and they are asking us that question there's also the other side of export which is um a lot of these countries you can actually just buy draft lines so it's it's working with you can't your, do
2: that in the city though
4: New York, no, it over- no, no, in New no, that doesn't yeah, happen doesn't at all happen here, does it? <laughs> right, but over. I'm just bringing the parallels to, uh, to the international point and to the national world. And you, these are very above above <laughs> table handshake them. contracts where um, we can actually go in and say we have to find the right places that we want to actually establish, and then we work with our distribution partner to find the right, to, to find those places, and then we can actually buy those draft lines, um, and then that's a, also a a great place to be because then you you can find a world where you're the only craft line and that's when you're you're pretty dangerous as Peter was alluding to
1: let's go back to the baseball collaborations because that's kind of why you brought in Captain Lawrence and and Gun Hill so you you put that together so Mondo Brewing they're an American guy that that has a beer operation in London.
4: There are two amazing American uh, guys that uh, worked in the UK beer scene, uh, also worked other parts of the world, but they they started uh, a brewery in 2015, which um, by London standards is light years ago. I mean, when we first started the company in 2014, there were probably like 30 craft breweries, and we think of how saturated New York is um, as the marker being, what, 45? London is a similar-sized city with 180, um, so it's a whole different world, but they're doing some really great things. They benefit from being American in that they can look, they, they travel here quite often. They know what's going on here. Uh, they have phenomenal connections in the in the beer space, um, and we're very like minded in our crafted approaches and, and their approach to uh, sales and brewing. Uh, so we get along really well, and uh, it's no 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 shock that I spent a lot of my time at their tap room when I was living in London uh, earlier this year, and. They kind of recognize how important uh, the MLB series is going to be uh, because it's not just going to be this year, right? It's going to be years to go. Is that Major League Baseball that we said? (laughs) Uh, You just mean Yankees Red Sox. Yankees Red Sox, yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. And Peter, uh, having spent substantial time in in both Boston and in New York, um, this was really a no brainer series for us to highlight both cities. And they're also probably. You know, two of the top cities for us in terms of where our, our supplier representation is. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been great to be able to highlight those. I can't wait to get over there in, uh, in June uh, and, and drink those beers. So right now, the,
1: the Gun Hill and the Captain Lawrence beers, what they're on, they're on a boat going over to England?
4: Yeah. So, uh, you know, Peter is the best of the best at making sure the beer is tasting phenomenal and gets there in a very, uh, a very speedy time that the customer is always very happy with. Um, and they're currently on their way. And um, I think they're going to, I mean, I'm so pretty sure we're going to let's talk about that the kegs.
1: So what are they? Are they one-way kegs? Are they plastic kegs? Are they metal kegs? What, what's the technology that you're using? Because now you've been doing it for a few years.
5: Uh, we have a partner uh, that we work with that allows for a lot of flexibility, but we use uh, 30-liter Frankie German-manufactured steel kegs. Uh, they have an S-type cup- coupler, so they're fairly easy to, uh, to fill at your standard, uh, brewery, but they, you know, this is like the Kleenex of kegs. They, they, they guarantee a good amount of, uh, you know, we, there's a significant quality, um, guarantee, uh, when using... Did you just
2: say Kleenex of kegs?
5: Kind of, yeah. Okay. I did. No, wanna, not might kind of. want to rethink that. Well, <laughs>
2: Well,
5: I'm, I'm sticking with it, Kelly. I don't know.
2: Okay. Kleenex of kegs? Come well,
5: I mean, like, brands, it's, the, it's, you know, it's, Frankie, in my mind, in, in yeah. operations, always been the standard in terms of the standard. guaranteeing quality okay. uh, for, you know, w- what you're going to put your, your product in, right? So, so, like, so where
2: this is shipping to England, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Rolls-Royce yeah. Rolls of kegs. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Right. <laughs> First one's free. That got a little intimidating there for a second. No, I'm just I'm just I'm just right. really yeah, giving no. crap is what I'm doing. No, and I enjoy it. <laughs> it like Kleenex of kegs. Come yeah. on. Yeah. us do a one-way <long laughs> keg. I didn't think I was making it. It's, yeah. it's cold
1: chain. No, I what, it's cold chain yeah. shipping the whole way. Yeah, cold chain shipping. So
5: one of the things we you know, we we have like a large integrated partnership with all of our breweries. So what we do is we, we ship everything refrigerated, we consolidate it, but we often ask like, our, our brewing partners to hold on and warehouse the kegs for a couple of days until it gets uh, picked up, refrigerated, freight, and then it gets right into co- cold storage on the, on the other side. So like, uh, what we are, are often have, or more likely have, the beer that's being consumed that we ship overseas is fresher than you're gonna find it in a lot of local establishments, or if you get an order from Fresh Direct, the beer that you drink that that we're picking up from the breweries and how we manage it is often going to be fresher than what you can get through uh, regular retail. So you know, Kerban did a really good job collaborating, you know, um, strategizing and focusing on the collaboration, making sure everybody was communicating with each other and setting up dates. But I'm hammering him every day. When is this going to be packaged? When is it going to be ready? What what date does it have to be there? Because all of that is equally as important. You can make a great beer, but if it's not there at the right time, if it doesn't taste right, if it's not at the same you know, pricing component, you know, the important aspects and cornerstones of logistics, then you know, it's,
3: it's, it's a vanity project.
5: So
1: Keith, the beer you made for England, just tell me a couple steps that happened and what you had to do.
3: Yeah, so in regards to the, you know, collaboration process, obviously there's a lot of back and forth about, you know, what we want to do stylistically uh, for the recipe, and that's where the kind of brewers take over that wheelhouse. But uh, a couple of points that these guys have mentioned, you know, just now and, and earlier today is that, you know, the one thing that we had those original discussions about working with Crafted was we weren't willing to compromise on the quality, right, which nobody in this room would either. Um, and they kind of assured us of all these processes and this and that, and I was fortunate enough to take a couple trips over there and to see, I mean, it's accurate. I mean, we've done some freshest programs over there trying to get it out of our docks to, to their stores as soon as possible, and they've really been able to deliver on those promises, which is extremely important to us, because you don't know. The board it's going on a boat overseas, and when you get there and you crack that beer, you know, you want it to taste exactly as it does here, or what's the point? You're not representing your product as it's intended to be represented. So it's uh, it's been a great process to making that happen. Well,
1: I want to thank you guys for uh, giving me a little insight into this uh, other world of uh, craft beer and exports. Um, the last beers we had, Kelly, what beer did you bring? You brought in a little uh, ball jar. Yeah, uh,
2: it was a, a collaboration kind of pilot batch I did with uh, with Queens Brewery. It's a uh, Belgian session, brute IPA. <laughs> so we just kind of tried to get all the catchphrases. So Queensbury,
1: of the day. he's he's finally opened a location in Queens. And yeah,
2: yeah. He's got a small pilot system going over in Ridgewood, and uh, I've been down there helping him put that together and and um, put put the main system together. And I've been brewing on the pilot system, just doing kind of random one off stuff, um, which has been fun putting like the, the the boots on again and going down and you know actually crushing the malt and getting the whole thing together and and being able to throw whatever we want at it. I mean, playing with. Uh, the enzymes that you need to do to do a brewed IPA with a Belgian yeast and different kinds of hops from from uh, you know, Croatia—it's been—it's been really interesting.
1: Right. And is there a, one last beer we're going to taste? Yeah, uh, we
0: have uh, our American amber
2: called Broadway Boogie.
1: Let, let's pop that, Davey. And I just want to thank everyone for, for joining me. Uh, we got Kelly Taylor. Everyone, just say their name and sign off for me, please.
2: Uh, Kelly Taylor, sign off. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Dave Lopez. Sign off. Keith Feckety.
3: sign off. Thank you, Jimmy. Kerban <laughs> Wally, <Mali>, signing off.
1: <laughs> Peter McNulty, signing off. All right, guys. I guess that means we can say good night. Uh, thank you, um, Engineer Matt Patterson, uh, Producer Justin Kennedy, um, Jimmy Carbone, the host here. Thanks for joining us on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Cheers. You, Jimmy. Woo.
6: for Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10 year anniversary celebrations happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.